all the two to three year olds and all the four to five year olds are meeting still in rooms, meeting rooms one and two. Uh, and then the six to 11 year olds uh, will be in church with us, but they can have a uh, activity pack and you can grab them in the foyer when you come in, parents. Um, that's in the 10.30 service, of course, in the 10, that's the next service. But um, if you were in the future coming to that service, so just uh, you're aware of that. Um, hope uh, I, I'm, uh, 2021 has finally birthed upon us. And I'm very interested, you know, a lot of people have been saying, oh, let's just forget about, let's just um, forget about 2020 and just move into 2021. The truth is, is that, uh, yeah, 2020 had COVID and all that type of thing. Uh, but, you know, um, uh, really, uh, God just, God's not, uh, just because of COVID, God wasn't not there last year, just as he won't, he'll be here this year. God, God doesn't change or shift. Isn't that good? He doesn't like uh, change his um, plan just because a, a pandemic broke out or something happened like that. No, he's always there for us. He's always got a plan and purpose. He's always wanting you to believe in him and trust him and uh, walk with him and uh, put him first. And, and uh, sometimes I, I see people say, well, you know, look, the truth is 2020 for, for me was it's actually a pretty good year. Um, there was a lot of good things I saw in it. A lot of good things happened. Uh, uh, lives were changed. Uh, people touched hearts. Uh, God, God was doing some great things. And even though we didn't meet for about five months or whatever, how many months it was, there were some incredible things and in, that were happening in lives and hearts that maybe you saw, I certainly saw, and I'm just grateful for those things. And uh, amazing things happen and good things happen. And I'm just expecting God to continue. I'm just glad that my world may change around me, but my God doesn't change. It's, he's solid. He's foundational. Would you agree this morning? Come on. Um, I was just um, very interested to see how nations across the world celebrate the coming of the new year. And as I was looking and reading and, uh, and, and just uh, trying to understand how people came, looked at the new year, there was one reoccurring theme that continually came up in um, New Year's resolutions and that was the theme of prosperity. You know, uh, so many uh, people just want to see a better year this year in the sense of prosperity. I, I, I'm not quite sure what prosperity they may be thinking of, but a lot of them were thinking of material prosperity. We just want more of that. That'll make our life happier. That'll make our life more better. That'll create a better 2021. And, and, and I just read this. It just says in Spain, these are some of the crazy things they do because they have these superstitions about what you sh how this 2021 should unfold and what you've got to do. And, and in Spain, do you know what they do at the stroke of midnight when the clock rings out at the 12 chimes, one, two, you know, they eat one grape for every chime. And uh, if, to be honest, that's not too easy. You try eating one grape for you know, 12 grapes in 12 seconds, it's not too easy. But that's what they do because they believe they do that. If you accomplish the task in Spain, you'll have prosperity. In Colombia, uh, here's an interesting superstition. They have three potatoes. Potatoes, I don't know why they choose potatoes. They completely peel one potato. They half peel another and they leave a potato unpeeled. They leave it under their bed. At the stroke of midnight, they thrust their hand under their bed, pull out without looking, pull out a potato. If you get an unpeeled, uh, a completely uh, unpeeled potato, you're going to have very little prosperity in this year. If you get uh, a potato that's completely peeled, if you chose that one, you can have incredible prosperity. And if you get the half peeled potato, you'll get somewhere in between. I'm <laughs> and, then, and then if you go to Ireland, Ireland has a tradition on New Year's Eve of banging bread against the walls of their houses on New Year's Eve and ensures the coming year will be prosperous. You could, you could read about country after country of what the, t the superstitions and traditions are. I'm just glad that my future in 2021 is not dependent on me swallowing grapes, banging bread against the, a wall, or doing anything else like that, because I have something greater to share with you this morning that's going to surpass any tradition that we want to uphold. Because it's a, it, it really is a hit or miss with tradition, isn't it? Those superstitions. But I'm glad we've got a God who's foundationally solid and strong and uh and we don't have to be concerned about that 
I want to just read a short passage of scripture to you this morning. And it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you know anything, you know a little bit, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. They talk about love. And it's not the uh, Hollywood love or the ooey gooey love. It's the, uh, that love in, in, in the Greek. Uh, it was originally called agape love. Love that's kind. Love is patient. Love is understanding. And at the end of that chapter, Paul says something deliberate to the people in the Corinth, in the church in Corinth. That's in modern day Greece. Uh, Corinth is still there today. Um, uh, and it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 11 to 13, it says, when I was a child, um, I spoke, as, I use a number of analogies here, Paul does. He says, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when, it, when I became a man or a woman, man is generic, so it's just person, a, a growing up, an adult, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know just as I am also known. And then verse 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13 is the clincher for me. And I want to just for, look at this. It says, now, now, and now but abide, which also means remain. Now remains or abides faith, hope, and what? Love. Um, these things, come on. And now faith, hope, and what? Love. Are you there this morning? Yeah, come on. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Okay, so Paul talks about to the Corinth church. He talks about a, a lot of things in chapter 13. It's, got thir it's the 13th chapter. It's got 13 verses. And, and I'm not about to expound on the whole, what Paul says. Obviously, I've only read you three verses. But he finishes with this thought and he says, now out of all the things, if you were to strip everything away, because um, I think sometimes what happens is people have these interesting traditions that they do because they want to just hope they, they, they hope they're lucky enough to get some prosperity in this year. And, you know, we all seek some type of prosperity, whether it's blessing in our family, whether there's blessing in, in our jobs, or, or whether there's blessing in our relationships, or all of this. Let's be honest, we all seek some element that things are going to get better in some way this year. Um, and, but sometimes we've got, I think for a lot of people, it's a matter of hit or miss or luck. And, and, and certainly, they believe their prosperity will form a basis, or material prosperity will form a brace, basis for a great year. They said it's going to be, this is going to, you know, if I have this material prosperity, the year's going to go well. I would suggest to you that the thing that you really need to form in your life would be the very three things that Paul declares here, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Because it's more than the external circumstances need to change for you and me. It's always what's happening inside needs to change. It's always the attitudes we have and the thoughts we have and the hope levels we, we have and the love that we're able to express and be loved back. It, it's always those things. And they're the things that Paul says to the, the church at Corinth. He says, come on. Um, these are the things that you should not neglect. These, if you stripped everything away, and if you look at all the chapters around um, 1 Corinthians 13, if you look at chapter 12, 11, 12, and even 14, Paul talks to this church in Corinth about the gifts of what we call the Holy Spirit and the miracles and healings and words of prophecy and words of knowledge. And all those things are not, don't pass away until we go to heaven, so we need all that. But he said, I believe he's saying the foundation of everything happening in our life has got to be these three things, faith, hope, and love. And you may say, oh, yeah, okay, tell me more. Well, I will. <laughs> I will. <laughs> because to say just those three things, uh, you know, it can mean different things to all of us. But let me just give you. Because over this next month, I want to just start a little series on these things and just see how powerful and what Paul was really saying he was declaring. Because the truth is, is that all of us here, there's, in our church, we have the blessed opportunity to have many people, different nationalities, different people from different countries, uh, different age groups, uh, different you know, backgrounds, different upbringings, whatever it may be, different communities that we've come from, different thought lives. But if you stripped everything else away, what would be the one common thread in all our lives? And I believe it would be yeah, Jesus, but faith, hope, and love which is foundational to what Jesus wants us to have. And Paul declared it. And so I want to encourage us, and I want to just kick off this series in this 2021, and I want us to start. And the first thing that it says here, we'll start at the greatest, because Paul says, love is the greatest. Is that cool? Let me start with this. It says, 
love. It says, let these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. And love is the greatest. The number one thing Paul says is vital for people to experience and share as Christians is love. And not just as Christians, but for all people. We cannot do without, uh, we, we can't exist really without love for too long. Not just the giving of it, but the receiving of it. And not just the, whole, not just the lovey-dovey, or, you know, that type of love, but the sincere, genuine, uh, selfless love that people may reflect to us and show us. And Paul says to this church at Corinth, he says, you know, guys, one of the really important factors in your existence as a body of Christ here in this, this heathen community, because Corinth was not a, not a uh, uh, it was full of pagan gods and worshipped all these different things. And Paul says, you know, one of the greatest things is love. Do you know where they even set up a, a temple and they used to have to the God of love on a hill in, outside of Corinth? And, and what would happen is that up there, it wasn't the love that uh, the, the agape, let's love one another sincerely. It was eros. It was the erotic, lustful love. And they, they had temple prostitutes. And people could go up to this temple and just be involved in prostitution or be involved with prostitutes. So Corinth knew about love. But Paul says, there's something here great I want to share with you. It's the love that God gives us that we need. It's vital. Did you know that in those days, in the days that Jesus walked the earth, in, uh, which is it's only just over 2,000 years ago, and when the early church was being birthed, did you know that love was counter-cultural? It was a counter-cultural attitude because the culture at the time was justice. And justice was dished out to people who'd done the wrong thing. But unfortunately, what you'd find in this culture of the days of the early Christians is that justice became unjust. It was terrible what they did to each other. The killing of each other on just on the, on the whim of some mistake some person made. You think about the day that the, within the first two years of Jesus' birth, what did Herod the Great do? Herod the Great said, every child in Bethlehem, every boy child under the age of two needs to be slaughtered, and that's what they did. Can you appreciate the heartache that would have brought to that community, that little town of Bethlehem just outside of Jerusalem? This is, the, this is the, the atmosphere and the culture of the day. And now Paul talks about, you Christians have a, have a, don't have a culture like that. Because we find throughout the history of the early church that the Christians were the one who showed mercy and grace. And you know what mercy and grace and Christian love was seen by many in the community? It was seen as a character flaw. It was seen as weak and feeble. That's literally what they thought. It's a weak and feeble. But we see time and time again, historically, that the people who were the most happiest people on earth, in actual fact, historians, there's a historian called Tertullian. Tertullian was born 160 years after Christ's birth. So not too long, really. 160 years after he, he, Christ was born, 160 AD, and he became a Christian, a great historian. And so he didn't get any of his works written in the Bible, but his, there was incredible history books that were written by him. And these are some of the things he would say. He said, have you seen the Christians? They are morally superior in their love. And quote, see how these Christians love one another. And to the fact where they would take even the heathen neighbors and care for them. And, it, and he writes about how the com Christian communities were places where people tended to live longer and healthier lives. And the reason was because when they suffered sickness, poverty, or trouble, the Christian people would come alongside them, provide for their needs, and they'd get healthier and strong, and people would look after them. It was all because of the incredible outpouring of, of, the, of the Christian love that was expressed in those times. It, and the Christians extended way beyond the boundaries of their family. They extended to people and to their pagan neighbors as well. And they'd reach out to them. And this is why Paul is declaring, he's saying, come on, come on. And you know, many histo histori historians say that the Christian church was founded on the simple fact of the Christians who loved one another and loved their neighbor as well. They say it was an incredible power in that countercultural atmosphere and community of hatred and justice which was unjust at times and you know there was the there was the whole community of slavery and people how they treated their slaves and they beat them and they could kill them you could murder your slave for something they'd done wrong and never get any retribution for it 
never be fined, never be put in jail for it. It was a terrible existence. The Romans were, were a hard, hard people who, um, you know, the Roman soldiers and the Roman garrison would, would just, you know, kill people. They'd get a Jewish person and they'd say, carry my bag for a mile. Well, you know what Jesus said about that? He said, don't just carry it one, carry it two. Go over and beyond and show them the love. Wow. So we see Jesus was the number one example of this incredible. He spearheaded this love. There's a story I've got to tell you about. There's a story of Luke chapter uh, 19. And uh, Luke chapter 19 talks about a guy called Zacchaeus in the Bible. And I won't read the story, but it's, he, he was a chief tax collector. He just wasn't a tax collector. He was a person who would look after other tax collectors. And what he would do, unfortunately, he was a Jewish man, but he was hated by his own kind. He was hated by the Jewish people, even though he was a Jew, because he would rip off his own people for the Romans who wanted to collect the taxes from them. He would do the dirty work for the Romans. Not only did he rip them off, he'd also steal from them more than was necessary. And so Zacchaeus had two things about him. He was short and he was ruthless. <laughs> because it says Jesus was traveling through his town at one stage. It was the town of Jericho. Uh, Jericho. And as he traveled through the town, um, all the peep crowds came to watch Jesus come up the main street of Jericho. And uh, Zacchaeus, because he was short, he climbed what they call a sycamore tree. Have you ever thought, have you ever seen a picture of a sycamore tree? In actual fact, I've got a picture of a sycamore tree because in February of last year, just before COVID hit, I was in Israel doing a tour of Israel and my and our bus driver, oh, here it is. It's a terrible picture, but I'll explain why. My bus, the bus driver pulled up, the guide of our, our guide said, pulled the bus driver up and said, stop, right in the middle of a street in Jericho. And he said, look out the right window. And we all looked out and he says, there's a sycamore tree that Zacchaeus climbed. And I went, and I was so naive. I thought, I thought it really was <laughs> for a moment. And so I grabbed my phone and I took this picture of the sycamore tree in, in modern day Jericho. And then he laughed and he says, well, not really, of course, but it certainly is an old sycamore tree. And it certainly is the kind of tree that Zacchaeus would have climbed. And if you look at that tree, you'll see some branches on your right that actually goes out. And you can imagine Zacchaeus climbing out over that branch, over the top of the crowd. And as Jesus came up the street, this is what happened. In verse 19, uh, sorry, verse 5 of chapter 19, we see, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I will stay at your house. Here's my first point. Love always looks up. Love always looks up. Love always looks up to see the best. Love always looks up to see the imperfect people. Love always looks up to help people. Love always looks up to accept people. And there's one thing that Jesus did for Zacchaeus that day. Um, he accepted him. Zacchaeus, he didn't say to Zacchaeus, um, you know, um, before I can come to your place and stay with you, you have to do this and this and this and this. He didn't say that, did he? He said, no, I'm coming to your place today to stay. Full stop, unconditional. Uh, I'm just coming to your place today. I'm, I'm going to stay with you, Zacchaeus. Jesus didn't establish a list of criteria before Zac could be accepted because Zac received... And, and because of Zacchaeus receiving acceptance, you know what it says? It actually says that he turned his life around and repented from his old lifestyle. And he stood up with all those people in the room where he, they were probably having a meal at that stage. And Jesus is in the middle of them. He said, you know what, Jesus? Today, I'm going to give half of my riches and wealth to the poor. That's a, that's a pretty good thing to do. And, th and then he said, anybody I've ripped off, I'm going to give four times back the amount I ripped them off, which was actually a commandment of law okay jewish law that's what they had to do if you're a thief um you had to give four back four times back of what you'd stolen so zacchaeus acknowledging that he's been a thief and he says and jesus says salvation has come to this household today and it all happened because uh love looked up jesus looked up and saw a man in a tree he was so inquisitive so desperate to see him and he, and he saw past all the all the issues and all the, the nastiness and all the, the ways that he defrauded people and stole money and he saw a heart that needed to be touched and he went to his place and because of that acceptance isn't love just so isn't acceptance so such a big major part of love come on and so we see that Zacchaeus was received Jesus spearheaded 
the early church's greatest attribute, and that was love. And Jesus says that, he actually said, you know what? Do you know what the brand of Christianity should be? Love. Uh, it should be, the brand should be love. Because he says in a scripture in John 13, 35, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. He declared it. Jesus declared it. And you know what I find so inspiring? Even while I was still a sinner, the Bible says, Christ died for me. Even while I was still not acknowledging him, God loved me and sent his son. And you know what else the Bible says? It says this, the goodness of God leads people to repentance. It's the goodness of God. Do you know what? We don't need to stand at the front door of our church and say, well, you know, determine whether they should be accepted or not. We need to stand at the front door of our church and say, hey, let's, let's understand that they're acceptable because God accepts them. God welcomes them. Come on. We, we, we need to take the, uh, any, any bias out of that and say, God, you accepted. You accepted one of the, the most hated people in Jericho. And you can imagine what they've done to the community. No wonder the church grew in that whole area. Because this man, Zacchaeus, who was such a con artist, changed his life around and started to love the unlovely, started to love people, started to give back to people, started to help people. I mean, what a change. What a change. I tell you what, it was a domino effect that affected many. And, and Jesus Christ, all he done was just reached out and accepted someone and said, I'm going to come and stay at your place. He didn't even ask him. He just said, that's where I'm coming. I'm coming. Zacchaeus would have had a nice big house. So don't worry. He would he accommodate those people. And so we see that Paul says, love, if you, love looks up. Love looks up to the, the helpless. Love looks up past our bias and our racism. Love looks up and sees, uh, you know, beyond what the world continually throws at us. Oh, you need to, you know, don't, don't accept them. Don't have that, you know, this attitude towards them. No, no, it goes beyond that. It goes beyond that. Do you know the second word? That uh, Paul says, he says, we'll work backwards. He says, now abide faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is love. He says, hope. You know, and I was thinking, if love looks, if love looks up, do you know what hope does? It thinks up. It thinks up. Hope is an attitude. Hope is, a, is manifest as we have a positive thought, a positive thought life, despite the circumstances that we face. Hope is that Always believing that there is, uh, there is light at the tunnel. Hope is, and, it, and I want you to understand what we believe in, and we'll share that with you. But it's always that. It's a wellspring of our soul. Hope is the wellspring. If you've got no hope, if you've got just a disappointment, it, there won't be any overflowing in your life. But if you've got hope, there's an overflowing of sometimes just general uh, uh, confidence and um, belief and uh, just knowing that things are going to unfold and believing for it. Because, as a, you know, because the Bible says, as a person thinks in his heart, so are they. As a person thinks, so are they. May we be a people that just doesn't look up to love, but may we be a people full of hope that thinks up ways that are, uh, that are good and manifest and allow us to live in that realizing, hey, there's a better day. There's, I've got a better thought about the future. I'm not going to be... Uh, disappointed. I'm not going to allow these things. We can be disappointed. I'm not allowing these things to overcome me. Um, you know, I, I've come to understand God actually thinks about me and you this morning in a way that thinks up. And the ways he's thinking, he's, he's thinking hope-filled thoughts. Because it says, it says in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a what? Hope. This is how God thinks every day about you and me. He thinks, I, I want to give you thoughts, I want to give you a future, I want to give you hope. I'm thinking up ways to give you hope. Uh, that's the kind of God you can hang around. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of God he's just got the best for. So why does God, uh, the question I ask myself, is why does God seek to impart hope into us? And I had to come to the understanding, it's because we face circumstances that can be pretty crushing at times, pretty destructive at times. 2020 was a different year in many ways, uh, obviously. <laughs> and there were times that um, I remember the first uh, Sunday that we had COVID restrictions placed upon us. And um, 
And uh, Michelle and I actually came to the church because we had to cancel church. That was the f- it, there was one Sunday, we were having church, and the next Sunday, bang, through the week, it was all closed down. And I remember standing over here on that Sunday, and no one came to church. They all obviously all got the message not to come to church that Sunday. Um, but I felt, I'll be honest, I felt this grief. I felt this grief. We'd lost something. We've lost the opportunity to fellowship. We've lost the opportunity to connect. We've lost, but you know, it, I'm thankful that there was, um, there was more to it than that. And as I started to just, I suppose, give that moment and hand that grief over to God, that there's just hope started to build. And we, and we went online and we started to produce our little services online and we did our best and we, we shared and you, maybe some of you watched it and hopefully you did and the worship and the worship team done an incredible job and other people done an incredible job trying to produce that. Some very long hours, but we, we, we managed to do it. And hundreds and hundreds of churches around, thousands of churches around the world were doing it by that, doing it as well. And, and you know, and, and, but for a moment there, the grief of my heart was just, oh, I just felt this loss. And you know what? I had to come back to the reality that my security was not standing here behind the pulpit. My security needed to be in the God of hope. And because I couldn't do it for five months. My security, what it wasn't in this. My security needed to be in the God of hope. And so for me, during that time, it was a great time of just, uh, you know, just drawing near. Knowing that, you know, my security is not in my position or my title or, or how many people like me or don't like me, or, or, but my, my hope is in a God that cares and a God that reaches out and a God that, that wants to favor me. Do you know what the, the scripture says? It actually says Jesus, um, Paul said to Timothy, I'll just go to 1 Timothy um, chapter 1 verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. So there we have it. Have you ever realized that Jesus Christ is literally hope personified? His hope, He is our hope. He's our hope. Uh, and I love the reality of that. That, you know, when everything else fails, that we have a hope and we get a hope in Jesus. And, and that my security is not, doesn't, doesn't need to be in the things of this world, the circumstances of this world. I always remember in um, 19, what year was it? Um, I better get it right. <laughs> um, 1990, I, w- I went to work. I was working at the Gladstone Power Station. And, um, and I'd been married uh, three and a half years. We had no children, but you know we were planning on it pretty soon, actually. Little did we know. Uh, our daughter was born in um, May of 1991. And so this was happening mid-1990. And Michelle fell pregnant not long after that. But um, 1990... I went to work at the power station this one morning, rode my little push bike over there as I did. I was working as a mechanical technical officer at the power station in the engineering office. And um, all the supervisors told every crew around the power station, it was over 800 people worked, men and women worked in the power station in those days. They said, uh, we want you all on the oval, there's an announcement about to happen. So the oval there, if you go past the power station, the oval's just there. Um, on the left, if you're going out of town. And so we all gathered on the oval and the general manager said, by the end of this morning, 80 people will be made redundant. That's a tenth of the workforce. About a tenth of the workforce will lose their jobs. And we all kind of just went silent. We walked back into our office, back into our workshops. Everybody went dispersed throughout the power station again. No no work was done, um, and we all just sat and waited. And as an engineering office, we all had these little beepers on our pockets. And I sat there in the office... uh, of probably 30 or 40 men and women, and I watched the beepers go off, and one by one, people walked into the boss's office um, and came out within three or four minutes. Um, I saw a man in his 60s, an engineer, come out in tears uh, because he'd lost his job. And then, you know, I'm sitting there, and talk about tense moments, would you agree? No one's talking to each other, everybody's just sitting there, and then my beeper goes off, and I knew exactly what that meant. I walked into the office and my boss, Bob, he says, sorry, James, you, you lost your job. You're redundant. I said, okay, thanks, Bob. I kind of tried to console him because <laughs> he had a dirty job. <laughs> he, he was just a messenger, so I wasn't about to shoot him. And so I walked out of there and, and I watched as, and he said, you can go home straight away. Um, you can go home straight away. But we, you have got so many months of work left. 
we'll give you um, a couple months of work. You don't have to leave straight away. And so I, I went back to my desk. I gathered my things. I hopped on my bike. I didn't say anything to anybody. No one wanted to speak to anybody because it was just such a solemn, fairly depressing moment. And I went home, and I got home before my wife. She was working. And I got home before, and I went and had a shower because, you know, you just do that. You're hot and sweaty. And as I'm in the shower, it hit me, and I started to sob. And the grief of what had just happened hit me. And I realized, here I am. I got a mortgage. I got a wife. We want to have children. And I haven't got a job. And it all just came tumbling down. And after it hit me and I, and I got out of that shower, I just started to say, well, God, um, your word says that you're the God of hope. Your word says that Jesus Christ is our hope. I'm going to focus on that. I'm going to thank you. And I'm going to just, know in this situation, I'm feeling the grief. And I know that you relate and communicate. You're cool with that. And I'm feeling pretty bad. But God, you didn't, this didn't take you by surprise. And I want to say that many of the things that you'll face in 2021 won't take you by surprise. COVID did not take God by surprise, okay? Your circumstances, your situations. And if you would reach out to a heavenly father that knows about your life, he knows the beginning from the end, would you not know that he is an anchor, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, for your soul? And as I reached out to God, I felt his peace. I still felt pretty sad about the situation. And the next day I went back to work. That week I went back to work and I just did my job. And a man walked up to me who I didn't know, really know. I knew his face. He walked up to me and he says, I heard that you got redundancy. And I didn't want to take redundancy. I wanted to stay at the workplace at that stage. And he says, I heard that you don't want to take that redundancy. I said, that's correct. He said, do you realize it's not you that's made redundant, it's your position. Let me take your redundancy, you can have my position. Because my position isn't redundant. And that's what happened. And I walked away thinking, well, God, thank you. That's, that's a pretty good answer within the week. So I went from the lowest of low to the thanking God and just hoping and hoping that he would pull me through. And, he, and in that sense, it turned out well. But this is what I want you to know. That you can still hope in a God when even the circumstances don't turn around. Because there was three men called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament. And the king of Babylon said, you shall worship me. And they said, we don't worship you. We worship the God of heaven and earth. And the king, and the king said, well, you'll go in the fire. And they said, oh, oh king, let us go in the fire. But we still believe in our God. And if our God, even if our God does not save us from the fire, we will still believe in him and not worship you. He, the king kind of went, you guys are crazy. He didn't say that. And he put them in the fire. They came out and they walked around the fire. <laughs> and uh, they came out without a, a, a sense of any fire on them. And God had, had rescued them. But you know what? I love the attitude. Even if we burn to death, that's cool. Because our God's got it. I want to know that even in the most difficult, you might say, why would God not give me roses every day of my life? No, no, no. Sometimes in the midst of the struggles and the troubles, James actually says this. I love this uh, passage in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5. Paul says, I glory in trouble because trouble produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope. And I find, so how is, how is my hope developed in my life? How is my character developed in life? By me getting everything I ever want in life my way? No. But in the tough times, I persist, and that develops my character, and over time produces this incredible hope that you will not be moved by whatever happens in your life. So why do we need hope today? Because the alternative is a real downer. The alternative is just live in hopelessness, live in depression. I tell you what, hope is the best mental, mental uh, health we could ever have. Amen. So Paul says, come on. You've got to have hope. Here's the last one, and we'll finish with this. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it says, Now abide faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love. And the Bible says there's one thing. We'll talk about faith now. One thing that does please God and excites God, because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So in everything we do, may we always allow faith to be a part of our lives. Because without it, we can't. God is really excited. You know, he's really excited when you pray. He's really excited when you do a lot of things. He's really excited about your life. But he's really excited when you display elements of faith. And you say, what, 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 what is faith? How can it be a part of everyday life? Well, the Bible says, 
that faith without our works isn't really faith. Because you've got an action. If faith is going to be really faith, there's an action sometimes to it. Um, so if love is looking up and hope is thinking up, then faith is acting up. Not in the bad way, not acting up like your kids do, but acting up in the way you conduct your life. It's the, it's the, it's the, the things, the actions you put to what you're hoping for or what you're believing for in, by faith. It's the action sometimes. It's stepping out of the boat, you know, so to speak, on the water and seeing what happens. And if I was to example it today, it, there's times where I've had to apply faith. I've had to pull back from my feelings of unforgiveness and retaliation and believe that God's got this, and I've discovered that when I pull back, and, and when things have unjustly done to me, and I forgive, and not allow that things, and want to get back at the person, God actually, then by faith, I can believe that God's got it, and He sorts it out, and he's, he, he works out the best for that person, as well as myself. That's a faith action on, off on our parts, because we, everything within us wants to retaliate. Everything within us wants to get back. But God says, forgive. Let me sort it out. I love that. By faith at times, I've had to, the giving of my um, finance, my tithes and offerings, believing that God, when I had nothing, and especially in those early days, nothing, and yet I gave anyway, and God gave, and I, I was saying, God, as I give, I just trust you that you'll provide for my family. Isn't it amazing? Decade after decade, I've discovered that God is a God who's the, the Bible says, the Jehovah Jireh, the God, my provider. It's by faith that I action that. Tithes and offering giving is an action of faith. See it as that. Don't just oh yeah, do, do it again. No, no, no. Believe for it. Believe what God's got behind it. Sometimes I've I've loved the unlovely people, believing that God would do something in their lives that I don't see at the moment because it's difficult to love them. But I just you go for it, and by action you love them, and their faith has been displayed. Something else about faith that I'll finish with this is this: faith is not just manifest in action, but it's also manifest in the way you speak. In the way you speak. Because Jesus didn't say to the disciples at one stage, he was talking about a mountain. He didn't say, I'll just desire the mountain to be lifted up and thrown into the sea. He said, speak to the mountain. Speak to the mountain. So often in life, we need to speak. What do we speak? Well, speaking words of truth, speaking words of life, speaking words of confidence, speaking God's word. And not just, not just speaking some religious jargon. Not, not, not just speaking, sprouting, you know, all your to-do list or all your, your, or your wish list to God. I want this and this. That, that's not what he's talking about. No, we speak. It's founded on God's character when we speak words of life and God's word. When we speak God's word, it's founded on God's character and the word that he spoke to us. And we've already mentioned it this morning when we were worshipped. But someone says, the Bible says, the promises of God are yes and what? Amen. I've got it written here. I'm not putting it in because we talked about it earlier or saying it even not knew that the song we we're going to sing displayed those words amen but amen as i said so let it be so saying amen more often in response to god's word is an action of faith it's an action of faith and sometimes i've discovered as i'm walking around or just talking with god or having just having a time of the prayer um just usually try to make it dialogue god you know i'm talking to you but god would you speak to me and as i open his word he often does but as i walk around i'll pray I've recalled times, I just, sometimes when I pray, I just say, Jesus, I'm recalling the time when you've done some amazing things. You know, you healed the, the 10 lepers, Jesus, or when you healed blind Bartimaeus, Jesus. And Jesus, if you can heal him, you could heal me, or you could do something in my body. And, and, uh, and I say, amen, so let it be, God. And I remember the time as I was growing up, um, younger years, um, I had varicose veins growing through my calf muscles, and the ache would be quite, quite unbearable at times. And so every time I take a shower, don't get any pictures right there, but every time I take a shower, I would lay my hands on my calf muscles and I say, thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I believe you take these varicose veins away and you stop the ache and the pain. And you know, over a couple of months, I realized I get in the shower and there'd be no aching. And I think, what's happened? He's healed me. And you know, to this day, I cannot find, I used to see the veins. Now I can't see a single one. I think, what is that? And I think, you know, God, you're such a faithful God. Sometimes it's speaking the word. And not just doing it once, continuing to believe for it. Persistence builds character, which builds hope. So we see the speaking is so vitally important. And I, and I, 
what we say, the amen, I think we need to say amen to more of God's word when you read it. And when you say it, it's an action of faith saying, so let it be. Let it be. I love the fact that Jesus forgave Peter when he denied Jesus. Peter, his close associate, denied him. And I think, God, if you can forgive someone who failed, who was so close to you, you can forgive me for my failures. And I say, so let it be. Amen. And I think when you say amen to the promises of God, you're actioning your faith. Because, you know, I think God has so much favor and blessing for us. But you've got to, every time you say amen, you pull it down. You pull it down and say, Father, I thank you in a sense. It's like, it's like um, when, you put, when you put that sheet over you or your doona over you, you pull it up. It's like, God, I'm just pulling up the promises of God by faith of what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. I'm just believing you and trusting you. And our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. I, uh, um, I've gone, sorry, time, but anyway, we're at the... Um, in 2019, I jumped into a raft in New Zealand and went whitewater rafting for the very first time with my two son-in-laws, Stephen and Andre, and four other people from various parts of the world. And, I, and you know, that's what you do when you jump on those whitewater rafting little tours in New Zealand. Um, who comes from New Zealand? <laughs> oh, you don't want to confess to it? Uh, I understand. No, no. We love New Zealanders. Come on. But... Before, um, when we're on the raft, they told me we were about to go over the biggest legal waterfall that you can. It was six meters that you're allowed to in a, in a raft. Six meter waterfall, water straight down. I'll just show you. That's not the one. Can we go back to the first one? There we are. We're about to go down the six meter waterfall. They, they took pictures. They located someone on the right spot and they took pictures of us, you know, about to die. So... So, so they said to me, just before we went over, they said to all of us, look, they want you, they said, look, don't worry, don't worry. Only one in 10 rafts actually flip over. There were 10 rafts that day. Guess who was the one? We flipped over. That raft, there we are, we flipped over. If I showed you the pictures before, which we haven't got time for, you would see that the raft disappearing into the water meters below. But there's something wonderful about rafts that I discovered right at that moment. Um, because rafts are very buoyant. Praise God, they're very buoyant. And they come back to the surface, even though it was upside down, even though everything was just going bedlam, and even though we'd all been tipped out, and even though we completely disappeared beneath the, the white water, it came back up. And the reason that a raft is buoyant and it comes back to the surface is because this is a, a, a given, but air is in that raft, acts as a ballast. And so it would always come to the surface and always see the light of day again, in which I was very grateful for because it was the one thing that I was, when I was down in the water three meters in that white water, and it gave me some perspective on which way was up. And thus I swam towards it. And because you have been flipped over and turned around several times, you can lose perspective you can lose perspective on which way is up. And sometimes I certainly did for a few seconds. And it's scary when you're not sure which way to swim. Would you agree? When you're down so deep. But thankfully, I opened my eyes. I could see there is the raft up there. So I swam towards it. And as you can see, we're upside down. But just so you know that we survived, I'll show you the picture that you saw just before. There we are. Um, I'm in the front on the right. Stephen's on my left, and then Andre's behind me. And then there's three other girls from Sweden, Germany, and Norway. And then our, our wonder, wonderful guide at the back. But, you know, as I, as I remember that, I'm glad the guide at the back told me only moments before we went over the, over the waterfall that, you know, it's only one in ten that flipped. I'm glad he didn't tell me on land because maybe I wouldn't have done it, but I didn't have time to get scared. But the reality is, it was a vivid reminder to me that life can go horribly wrong at times. And you can, come, you can become the one in ten that your life flips. And if we, and it, it's not pretty and it's not nice. And maybe you thought 2020 was bad and maybe we go into 2021. Would you remember that, you know, just because COVID may be easing off, there may be things that 
can still go wrong, and I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom, but just a reality. But would you remember at those times, if you have the right ballast, if you, and the right ballast has to be faith, hope, and love. And if you, we can get through it and we can look up from our dark, watery circumstances and see the raft, then it's your faith, hope, and love that gets you to the surface and you can start to breathe again. And I tell you what, your God has got all those for you. And I, and I was down in that water, some meters down. I was so grateful after a momentary moment of thinking, which direction do I go? Trying to hold my breath. And I saw the life raft. And I tell you what, Jesus is still that raft. He's still the hope. Can I just pray for you today? You know, in 2021, the opportunity is that we need to respond and commit, you know, to really know and take the first step. It's always responding to Jesus because we could even, the Bible says it's believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth, Jesus is your Lord, that you can become a Christian or you become a believer. And I would encourage you not to miss that moment in 2021. I would encourage you to step into that if that's what you need to do. But maybe you've already have, but I'd like to just pray for you. Could we just close our eyes today? Father, today, if we do not really know you, I pray that there would come a moment where we would respond to you, Lord Jesus, and confess you as our Lord and Savior. So through a simple prayer of receiving you and just saying, hey, God, I'm yours. I accept what you've done. We thank you that you died on the cross and that you took away our sin on our behalf so that we did not have to pay the burden for that. But Lord, we, we thank you as we go into this year, 2021. It's a big year that lays ahead of us. And we do want things different this year. We want to know prosperity and blessing, Lord, in all areas of our life. But Father, help us to be mindful that the very base and foundation of our life has to be hope, faith, and love. Jesus, is all of those things and help us to be mindful of that. I ask this in Jesus' name. Can we have the team? And everyone who agreed said, amen. Can we stand today and we'll finish? Thank you for your patience today. Thanks, guys. And I've tried so hard to see it Took me so long to believe it That you choose someone like me To carry your victory Perfection could never earn it You give what we don't deserve it Take the broken things and raise them to glory. You are my champion. Giants fall when you stand undefeated. Every battle you've won, I am who you say I
today. May this year be just a year of incredible blessing and prosperity in all areas of our life. But I believe it says we just function in the things that are so foundational to our life, love, hope and faith. Have a great day, folks. Thank you.